Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we dive into a the same roll dice again and combine results role playing game 57 times a week. Today we're pantomiming Space Master. It's a roll master game, so it's dumbly overcomplicated and also not interesting. That last die roll didn't do anything. That was just an insult. It's System Mastery. Welcome back to System Mastery, the podcast where we do stuff that we do. I'm Jeff, and that's John. How are you, John? Oh, man, I am. I mean, it's nice in here, but it is bad everywhere else. It's a hot day. It's a hot day in Southern California. It is. But I have an air conditioner, and I am using it. Indeed. So, uh, well, I mean, anything else you want to discuss before we dive into it? We might as well. This book... I'm going to go ahead and admit it. That we're doing was Space Master today. Space Master is a, it was a gift a from space version of Roll Master. Yeah, yeah. Now Roll Master was a game that started around 1980 or so. It actually lasted quite a long time. I think it, the company that made it, which was like Ice or something, Ice. Yeah, literally Ban Ice, Ice. Iron Crown Enterprise, uh, was dissolved around 2001. So there were four or five editions of this game. This one came out somewhere around the second or third edition uh, from 1985. Uh, well, there are, I'm sorry, there were several editions of Rollmaster upon yes. which this game is built uh, and is 100%. Like, there's, like, nothing really very new in here. Honestly, the book puts stuff in from Rollmaster that they're like, this won't show up in a sci-fi setting, but... We're putting it in there because we can. Yeah, like the weapon proficiency selections. They're like, hey, this crossbow. You won't use a crossbow and they don't exist here, but, you know, for completion's sake, here it is. Every character gets six weapon choice, uh, selection choices. Here's a big list of them. Only four of them have anything to do with sci-fi games. Pick from those first, probably. Uh, and then two more for your, I guess, archaic choices. I don't know. Well, you know, in case you want to use a laser sword or whatever. Right. So the thing I really wanted to get across, though, is that this is a rare game that kind of... Oh, and first of all, uh, thanks to Erica for giving this to us. Thank you, Erica-ish. Right, yeah. Thank you, maybe. Yeah. Thank. Well, I mean, she wanted us to have it because Space Master is close to System Mastery, Uh yeah, I, I believe she thought it was Space Mastery at first. I think there may have been that confusion in the beginning. Uh, so it's an old box set book from around 1985. Uh, and here's the thing I've been trying to get to. It has defeated us. This is just arcane nothing with no flavor. Uh, it's, I mean, not only is this one of those books that you go through and you're like, oh, this is just an Excel spreadsheet that came to life one night. <laughs> A magic top hat fell onto <laughs> yeah. this database. Oh, yes, it's true. <laughs> like, happy th- birthday. <laughs> I know when your birthday is. I've got it in a big list of birthdays. I randomly generated your birthday. Uh, yeah, not only is it basically just charts and figures and math, the game, but also it's so poorly put together trying to find information in this like i just spent the last i'm gonna say 15 to 20 minutes trying to find out where it says 
what you need to roll to succeed on things and couldn't. Yeah, I think that might be something where you're supposed to have the core book. This is a box set, by the way. There are three books in it. Uh, there's the player book, which is just wall-to-wall, three-column math. Yeah. There, there's the GM book, which starts by being like, hey, here's the setting of Space Master. First of all, you're going to need to roll several hundred D10s. <laughs> Because it's your job to populate the world with random solar systems that have random planets in them. And I mean, like Traveler has the whole thing where you're like, oh, you can create an entire planet and here's all the random rolls. Traveler will skip those steps for you and sell you a book of random generated seed planets. But not Space Master. Space Master's like, boy, you better be rolling dice. And not just for a planet. You're making a system here. Yeah, you're going to make a whole solar system. And that doesn't just mean like roll in this chart and it'll be like oh there's an it's a regular star with like seven planets and one of the planets might have life it's like oh no oh no 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 once you figure out what type of star it is that tells you what kind of gravitic potential it has then you have to roll to see what sorts of debris it may have captured over its millennia of star existence then you have to roll to see if any of them accreted into planets if they exceed a certain size relative to the size of the star that they're orbiting maybe there's a chance that they'll combine into gas giants at which point you have to roll to see how many satellites those have it's like if Someone split off Neil deGrasse Tyson's pedantry, and then it wrote a role-playing game. (laughs) Yeah, there's a whole section that's like, stop worrying about mass murders. Lots of people die from washing machines. (laughs) God damn it. Stop doing that. (laughs) So, I mean, this is... Oh, it's a rough one. It is a very rough one. Now, there are a lot... There are... The game kind of has flavor to it. In the sense that it generates... In the sense that Bland is a flavor. Also in the sense that it generates its own through weird decisions. Uh, First of all, there are a variety of stats. There's one whole block of stats that only are used for when you are leveling up or creating your character and see no use otherwise. Yeah, they have two different sets of stats. It's primary stats and development stats. Mm -hmm. So when you make your character, you're like, oh, you might think... I'll just put my good stuff into the primary stats because that's what I'm going to be using to roll on stuff. But then if all of your development stats are garbage, when you level up, you get like two points and then you suck ass forever. And you do need to level up quite a bit in this game. You can level up. I don't remember if there's a cap, but it feels like it's around 50-ish. There isn't. But the reason there isn't is because this game takes a very weird tack with XP. It has the exact same amount of XP to get from one level to the next for every level. Mm -hmm. So it takes, I think it's 10,000 or 100,000, it's one or the other, to get from like level one to level two, and then another 10,000 to three, and another 10,000 to four. And the book even says, so what this means is, getting from level one to level two takes forever. But then as you level up, levels just come faster. (laughs) I'm like, that's a weird attack to take, where you're like, Oh, yeah, your first level's just a slog. But once you get powerful, you just keep getting more powerful all the time. Yeah, the rich always win. And it's... There's an XP chart in this as well for how much XP you get from any given thing you do. Oh, there's so many things. And it's all just math problems. It's like, take your level... And then find the level of the thing that you just murdered. Now you're going to take those and find the absolute values and multiply them by the root number of your defensive value. And you're like, wait a minute, hold on, what the fuck are you talking about? You can't just be like, you get 100 XP for killing this space orc. 
No, you have no. to know if that space orc was level 12 and you were level 8, then obviously you need to get this much XP. Now, of course, if you were in a territory that was friendly to you, then you would get less XP. But if it was a hostile territory, be worth more XP. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, on that. That's why the Enterprise spent so much time in the neutral zone. They were getting more XP by farming in a neutral area. Yeah. Yeah. Just farm it up. They were just farming Romulans. Farm, farm, farm it up. Uh, okay, so the first thing the game wants to introduce to you is the concept of the exploding D100. Yeah, which, why? Uh, so D- the exploding D100 is so that you can get to super high levels of difficulty. So if something's up in the, difficult- the super high end of the difficulty range, you may need a number like, oh, I need to roll a 215 to get on this percentile die to get here. Now, yeah, you can you can uh, layer on bonuses and stats and so on, but not directly. Like, you can't say, oh, my strength is 70, so I'll add 70 to this roll. No, I get 70, which means I now look at the stat bonus chart, uh-huh. find out what 70 gives me, add that on to whatever skill I'm using, if it uses strength, and then I have to find the skill bonus chart, because, of course... Five dots in a skill isn't like, oh, you've you've got plus five. No, there's a whole other chart for that as well. Yes. So this is one of those games before they had realized that you could take the bonus and just make it the stat. Uh, Instead, you were like, oh, you have a strength of 65. So every time you want to do anything with strength, you have to go consult the relevant chart instead of being like, okay, all the charts are the same chart. And the result of that table is now your stat for strength. Because what are we doing? Why are we making you check in a chart every time when you could just make the result the number? Well, you don't have to check the chart every time. Obviously, you're going to write down your bonus on the thing. Unless, of course, you're talking hit points, because hit points can change on the fly. (laughs) Totals, we mean. Uh, Texas T. I want to just tell you real quick about hit points. Okay. So, you start with a base hit point total equal to your constitution divided by 10. Mm Mm-hmm. Each time the body development skill rank is increased by one at a roll appropriate to your race. So that would be like a D8 or a D10. And then your actual hit point total equals the base hit point total times your con bonus divided by 100. Oh, okay. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, by the way, when it says race in there, it's probably worth noting that by race they mean one of like 26 different kinds of human. Yeah, there's like four aliens in here yeah i have a list of the aliens here that i'll go through because i've i i have dedicated more of my time to reading the dm guide this is an old box set so there's three books in there and one of them we're discounting because it's nothing but a list of flamethrowers it's <laughs> it's just the, the tech book is just a weapon guide and it's bo- it, it it's just the 50 different versions of the same thing you could get yeah you've read that book before you don't need to hear our take on it there's a player guide which is just basically a deterrent <laughs> Yeah, it's the give this to your players so they can go, how about we don't play this? Uh-huh. And then there's the DM guide, uh, which I've, de- I've dedicated my time to and is a random chart for how to build solar systems, the setting of Space Master, and uh, an adventure set in Space Master. And then between those two is a little ch- section about like what kinds of aliens there are. Great. But you can't play as those aliens. Your your race choices are... Oh, you can play as the aliens, with- but it is strongly suggested you don't. <laughs> Yeah, this book reads like a wine pairing a lot of the time. There's a lot of things in here where they'll include stuff, as they say in the book, for the sake of completion, but then after they do, they're like, it is strongly suggested that the GM restrict this or not allow it at all. Please consult your GM to see if this is right for you. So, there's 
three types of you can play as a regular human, in which case your stat generation happens normal. You roll percentile for all your stats. Done. Uh, oh, by the way, I never finished the, the thought about open percentile. That's if you roll a 96 or higher, you roll another percentile and add the two results together. Yeah. Uh, and so on. It's an exploding percentile. And if you roll a 1 through 5, then it explodes downward. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fuck. Why didn't they just use a d20? I mean, it's... It's well, the they s- did use a D20. Two of them, in fact, yeah. with <laughs> zero through nine on two sides. <laughs> You're right. Okay, so um, what I was saying, the, the species you can play as. You can play as a regular human. You can play as a transhuman, which is, you know, a human who has evolved beyond human. Uh, uh, but let there's me, a... Please. Let me say about the transhumanism in this isn't quite the same, like genetic modification cyborg nonsense that you would see for most sci-fi transhumanism instead the worst thing about this is in the book it goes oh or you might be some kind of mutant along a eugenics program and i'm like well one that's the opposite of mutation that is controlling genes not letting them change randomly (laughs) yeah that's a that's a gmh not a not a mutant yeah I, I, but sure, maybe it's the 80s and they didn't know any better. But transhuman is basically like, oh, ancient aliens went around the galaxy seeding every planet with humans so that the game would be boring. Uh, but w- some of them came out big and stupid, and some of them came out small and fast. Well, no, the transhumans is specifically, we have eugenics programs that are like, we tried to make perfect humans. Oh, okay. It turned out that some of them weren't very good. Yeah, okay. Then there's the androids, which are the replicants, basically. Yep. Replicants are, you can't tell if they're human or not. They're basically just Blade Runners, uh, which this book came out the same year as Blade Runner, I want to say. Uh, this edition of it was 1988. Oh, so, okay. So maybe they were added then. I don't know. Because Blade Runner was 85, which is the first edition yeah, of Yeah, the this. first edition of this was 85. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> there's there's replicants, basically, which are people but robots, and they can be... But, you know, it, there's three groups of these. There's there's androids or replicants. There's transhumans. And then there's near humans, which are the ones that are Terran like... Terran mutations. Terran mutations, which are the ones that are like, oh, we're humans who moved to another planet where we got all big and stupid. It's I mean, it's basically like we went to a low-gravity planet, yeah. so now we're agile and tall, but not very strong. We went to a high-gravity planet. We're short and stocky but and it's strong. Just, it's, there's seven to twelve of each of these. And the three categories are just diff- three different expressions on the same idea. What if humans were big and stupid? What if humans were small and fast? What if humans were extra psychic? And what if one human was just way better than every other human? Because that's the last one on all three of the lists. I mean, honestly, the worst thing is the eugenics program humans. You get to a point where you're like, oh, there are a couple that were like, peak level ones so they're like oh sevens and twelves Mm -hmm. in the lists are both like the sevens used to be thought of as the perfect man and now twelves are the perfect man because all of your stats have a bonus Uh uh-huh like some of the things you can be like oh you've got a bonus to these and a penalty to this or you know you've got a couple scattered bonuses maybe but no penalties whereas getting something like transhuman 12 is the lowest thing you get is a plus five, and most things are a plus ten to a plus twenty. Yes. And then there's a little section that's like, it is strongly recommended that the GM disallow the usage of type 12 transhumans. Yeah, thanks. Great. Why'd you put those in there? Oh, so that you could run into them and have them cool, be cool NPCs that kick your ass. 
Yeah, same thing for there's an alien race of cool badasses that you aren't allowed to be. And it's one of the few times they put something in the player book and then actually didn't allow it. Usually they put something in there and then say the GM shouldn't allow this. But in this one, uh, on the chart, of course, chart that has all of the stat bonuses and skill changes and hit dice and whatever for all of the different races... The uh, the one for the Weir Cole, mm. which is the super awesome badass ones, have question marks all across the board. <laughs> so you actually don't know what they are and you can't play them. So the Weir Call are, and this is the thing I know about because I have the book that's about races and stuff. The Weir Call are the ones that are kind of like the fucking traveler from Star Trek The Next Generation where they're just like, what are you? Oh, I can go wherever I want and do whatever I want, but there's only like 12 of us and we work in mysterious and inscrutable ways. Yeah, the, we go across the galaxy yeah. and we have super advanced tech and nobody's ever seen the women of our species. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay. There's, uh, there's several more of the alien races that are just like humans but better, and it's like maybe these are the original humans. There's the Alpha which are like tribal people that are the remnants of one of the progenitor races. They have six fingers on each hand. Uh, they are all super sexy. They never look old. They always look like sexy teens uh, with attitude. Uh, and you can tell the ones in charge because they are always male, and they always have one blue eye and one purple eye. Yeah, and the legend tells that someone with two purple eyes will be their savior. Yeah, now if... Uh, it's it- worth noting that the We Are Cole have two purple eyes. It's, the the We Are Cole are the, the third tier of this. Because here's the thing, if the Alpha aren't cool enough and powerful enough for you, then there's also the Kitaviarii, <laughs> who are the same species as the Alpha, but they all have one blue and one purple eye. Yeah. It's a whole species of six-fingered bosses who look like sexy teens. Ugh. Right, don't don't play as them, though. Don't, please, don't, please don't. Don't play as those. And those are all listed under the near-humans. So those are all just like, oh, these are probably humans that a progenitor race seeded across the universe so that one day we could go out in spaceships and meet humans and introduce them to our Roman society that we obviously have. Because this book is the biggest piece of hackery since hacks. I I mean, I will say this. I do like a couple of the weird races in here. You're starting to get into things like the Trilopters and the, the, well, the, the slime uh, one. The Almerans are the slime that, like, bond with you yeah aomarians and they're like oh what are you we're a weird slime but we'll just like get into a host body and make them better yeah trilopters are trilaterally symmetrical mr <laughs> are peanuts clones of, of uh, the palpatine yeah no i trilopters in this case are trilaterally symmetrical upright mr peanuts uh who are very very lazy but have six brains yeah Th- there you go uh and then, of course, there's a, uh, let's see, the Areed and the Eed, which uh, uh, are just sort of weird, like, clan-based, larger female than male. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all divided into, like, the Eed are the leaders and the Areed follow them and the bones are their money <laughs> i don't even have those my list of aliens includes the Clither- uh, sorry the clacotheris adenac <laughs> uh which are bipedal hydrocarbon senti i'm looking at the notes here uh they are they're they're civil they're they predate humanity by several million years but they never invented a star drive and so whenever they're encountered they're on colony ships that are going at sublight speed so they just 
They build colony floating city ships, and they just fly around for millions of years at a time. The Olze Alaria Mukaroms. <laughs> the Olze Uye Ise. <laughs> the Olze Alaria Mukaroms are ghost people that live inside of crystalline technology they build. Which, honestly, I'm not even really sure what that means. Like, it just says, hey, they, these guys are 15 to 20 meters across, and they live inside crystalline lattice technology structures that, that don't, they doesn't say what they do. or What that means is, yeah, here's some nonsense that you aren't going to actually use. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've gotten off topic because the stuff I know really should be saved for after we describe how to play the game. I mean... Which I don't know how to do. And, I, and even though John has read the player's handbook, neither does he. <laughs> I mean, the big thing for me... Just to finish up the alien races, there is a note about how very Star Trek this is, because there's a point where they're like, also, there's been known to be several gaseous entities that have maybe godlike power, and you're like, great, thanks. Yeah, okay, wonderful. Also, there's a race that's black on one side and white on the other. Yeah, yeah, we get it. (laughs) Okay, yeah, did you know there's also a race where they call themselves the R's? (laughs) And they have mysterious godlike powers and may put you on a are <laughs> pirates. R. I'm R. Oh, the R continuum. Ah, uh, matey. We've taken you to an approximation of what the R continuum might look like to a human. Ahoy, Captain. <laughs> it's just a boat. Oh, man, that would. <laughs> Sometimes we are the boat. Ah, yes. We built our entire culture on a different dead culture, the seas. <laughs> uh, all right. So when you're making a character, the first thing you're going to do is you are going to roll percentiles eight times for your various stats, your mm-hmm. four actual used stats and your four just for making character stats. Uh-huh. Now, anything below a 20, you get to re-roll. Uh-huh. And I believe you reroll it until it's not a twenty. Yeah, or lower. You cannot yeah. have below a twenty for any stat. Yes, they're like you're an exceptional person going out into the universe and being a space badass. So you can't have anything below twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, whatever profession you choose, uh, which is sort of like your class, but mostly it just determines how much you have to pay for skills. Yeah, because it's just, all it gives you is this big list of skills organized by class and how much they cost at the start of the game and then during the game. But whatever profession you choose has a prime stat, Mm -hmm. and uh, whatever you put into the prime stat, uh, if it is lower than 90, it becomes 90. So they were like, if you've got, if you rolled like real bad and got like an actual just 20 on something you can put that into your prime stat mm-hmm. it'll bump it to 90 and then you can be like oh well, i get to unfuck one of my bad stats or if you've rolled really well you still take your lowest stat and put it in 90 the only way you what reason you wouldn't do that is if you rolled 100 and you felt like having the absolute pinnacle of your stat but even then don't get put take your lowest stat put it there and then just be weirdly dexterous or something for a scientist you're like huh all right well whatever yeah so, anyway. Uh, I mean, honestly, what you would end up doing is, if you rolled really well, you'd be like, all right, what's the development stat that is the correlative one to yeah. my actually used stat? I'll go ahead and put the high one there, and then my low one goes to 90 for that. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, like you was saying, there's eight stats, four of which are, like, 
developmentary. Uh, the development stats are just synonyms for the core the core four stats. Well, yeah, you're like okay, so you've got strength as a core stat, but then your development stat is constitution. Mm-hmm. You've got agility for a core stat, and then for development you have quickness and it's just that for everything yeah you got strength for your primary stat and your secondary is strongness <laughs> strongitude <laughs> strong too strong <laughs> i've got a two in strong oh <laughs> uh, uh, you've got spookiness for your primary stat and then for the development it's spoopiness too spoopy too oh, man spoopy. i've got a two in strong and a two in spoopy this is terrible I've got bad character i got a bad stat array <laughs> so so four of those stats you're only going to use during character creation and level up. Uh, now, there's an alternate version of making your character that the book provides, but it's not point by or anything like that. It just says, hey, if, if your DM's a real asshole, maybe he'll make you roll down the line for your stats rather than letting you put them where you want. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, good, great. I I really hope my DM's a huge asshole. Thanks for putting that in the book. Yeah. Uh, once you've got those stats, it's time to go do the, uh, you have to d- develop a shitload of derived stats. Yeah, well, you've got, as I mentioned before, you've got your hit points, which are just nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to figure out what your movement ability is. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is it running? Could it perhaps be bouncing? You only have one, so you need to determine your method of locomotion. <laughs> I'm lying. Uh, you'll find out what your offensive and defensive bonuses are, Mm -hmm. and, uh, then what you get as a bonus or penalty to resistance rolls. Yes. So all that is, uh, based on your various things. Now, after you've done calculating your derived stats, it's time to pick one of this game's 22 classes. Uh, the classes include things like field scientist and partial telepath and armsman. Uh, and literally, all they, they have no abilities to them. The only thing they do is tell you how much your initial and ongoing investitures of skills are going to cost you. Yeah, I mean, the basically the only thing that actually gives you anything is being some kind of telepath. There are two telepath classes out of the 22. The partial telepath gets less telepathic abilities, they, and the ones that they get can cost more. Uh, and the, but also they can choose any one of the other 20 classes that aren't telepath stuff and start progressing as one of those as well with a little bit of penalties to it. Yeah. So basically it's, if I'm a semi telepath, then I can be like, oh, I'm a semi telepath slash armsman. Yeah. And when you pick whatever your other classes aside from telepath, you go, all right, now I pick two categories from the giant list of categories of skills Mm -hmm. and those I use the armsman for or whatever the second uh class you pick is yeah and then for everything else i use semi-telepath for what the costs are yes that's correct if you're like i want to be a gun haver psychic then you pick armsman if you're like i want to be a science dude but i also want some you know ability to have spooky telepathic power the game has way too many skills uh so you're probably best off going partial telepath in most situations because you'll get enough Oh, yeah, there's, I want to say, like, 84 
primary skills and then there's like a whole nother section of secondary skills yes and then another section of hobby skills yeah 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 so primary skills are things that relate directly to your career secondary skills are things you develop during adolescence that are still useful in the course of adventuring and hobby skills are what they sound like they're hobbies they may still come up but you don't invest a lot of time and you don't get paid for them they're things like podcasting (laughs) now you also have the ability to say one of your skills was a hobby of yours as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so a whole th- bunch of shit in this book about being an adolescent. Yes. Th- so much of this is, before your character, you're a level zero adolescent, and we'll just spend XP to get to level one, and the XP you spend is how you get your skill ranks and stuff like that. You're much better at learning languages as an adolescent, because it's, it, it's one of those like physics emulating the real world type games. Yeah, but if they're like, oh, you could have had a weird hobby as a kid where you're like, sure, you grew up to be a scientist, but you also always went and shot cans on the weekend. So you're like single handed propellant rifle skill is mm-hmm. better. I spent my childhood uh, planning to avenge the death of my parents. Oh, good. Your avenging skill is much better. <laughs> and uh, for my class, I will choose that I am the knight. <laughs> <laughs> I shall be the bat. <laughs> Must become that which criminals most fear. A bat. A bat. <laughs> bats uh, are always messing up Burglar's Day. They're like, I'm going to break into this house, oh, I is. bats! Oh, no, there's bats in this house, they is. There's bats in these belfries. <laughs> Why do I keep robbing belfries? Who knows? That's my thing, though. The belfry burglar, they call me. <laughs> Oh, gosh, but Gotham Museum is having a Belfry exhibit. (laughs) Can't miss this one. Ooh, I got to get in on that. (laughs) I would love to go to a Belfry exhibit. Oh, no, Man Bat beat him to it. (laughs) Just hanging in there. He's just hanging out in one of the Belfries. Is he not even stealing him? No, he's just like, this is great, I love this. I'm just sleeping in here. There's a big pile of his guano underneath him, and that's the reason that Batman has to kill him. Come on, man. Hey, hey, get it. Yeah! Get, get, (laughs) come on, Kurt. I like to imagine that man bat is just like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I have all the genetics of a mouse. I'm a deflator mouse. (laughs) I am the knight. Oh, Oh boy, kids. I'd rather talk about anything but this book. Uh, Okay, so once you've determined your... Race, your class, what all your stats are, you've spent XP on skills, you've basically made your level one character. There is an, a whole other optional section in here uh, that is backgrounds. Ah, yes. So it says that you can either roll randomly or choose from these background options. And depending on what your race is, you will have more or less of the background options. So, like, if you just pick human, I'm just a regular human, I'm Krill, and I don't have any powers, uh-huh. then you get four picks. But if you're like, I'm an android, you get one. Right. Yeah, if you pick android, then the only uh, background you have is that you saw the sea beams glittering off the Tannhauser <laughs> gate. <laughs> uh... You only get that Tears in the Rain background, no other ones are available. So there are a bunch of categories for those, so you can get things like, oh, I increase some skills or maybe even a stat, 
uh, you can get a thing where, like, oh, I grew up and I've got a certain amount of items that I have, so now I've got, like, a personal deflector shield or whatever that I just start with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them are special statuses, and you can get things like, my family is cursed. <laughs> Which is why when it the book says, like, oh, you might just choose instead of rolling randomly for the options in these background options. Mm-hmm. No, you, you should never do that, because one of them is wealth, and it's, oh, you could be poor or ridiculously wealthy. And you're like, well, I guess if I'm picking, I'll take the rich one. Well, I don't know. I have this interesting story I thought of where my character is super poor but also has a ton of money. How about it? So where should I go then? Oh, well, then you should take the one that is the most starting money but without any monthly income. Oh, okay. That's fair. Like my character just woke up on a heap of money and yeah. that's, that's, that's the game. Because you can have 1,200 starting monies and mon- no income. Money is called monets. <laughs> uh, or oh, wait, can I also, El monets. Can I, also have I am El monets. <laughs> can I have? Can I have zero money and twelve hundred kids? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, but I can have zero kids and twelve hundred money. Yes. Okay, that's good. Because you can go anywhere from if you rolled a one or a two to I have five hundred monies and no income mm-hmm. to at a hundred ten thousand monies three hundred per month. Also, you have an investment income. Also, you have black market funds. And you're just like, okay, great. And I can tell you, John, from having read this book, that the monet is the individual use of currency. It's a single rectangular disc of platinum-titanium alloy, which is also worth its value in platinum-titanium alloy, which gives it a backing. However, that value is significantly less than the value of the currency. Uh, It's just there as an emergency fail-safe in case of uh, major financial disasters. Yeah. But an L-monet, as you were mentioning, is, is if it's spelled E-L-M-O-N-I-T. Yeah, that's, that's an electronic monet, and that's stored on every character's personal credit card that they all carry around yeah, with them. This is all, you're, you're yeah. not starting with actual, like, bullion or anything. Yeah. You're just starting with some credit. That said, you can't, there are rules for whether or not you can spend with credits, and it rarely happens. Instead, you're supposed to take your, mon- your L-monet card to an ATM and be given a stack of rectangular platinum discs. And I mean, they just look like... Sticks of gum is what yeah. they look like. Yeah, it's the gold press latinum thing. Yeah, they're and like, here, you got 12 sticks of gum. You can trade that in for stuff. But basically, stuff. this book predicts the far-off future of the ATM and hard money. That's <laughs> hard ba- money. That's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the wild future that they envision for us all. Uh, you can also have a mentor as well. And again, if you roll shitty on that, then your NPC mentor is just like some homeless guy that gives you some advice. You get Mr. Wendell, essentially. Hey, that's great, though. Yeah, I, mean, I give, I, he gives me some knowledge. I buy him some shoes. <laughs> Mr. Wendell, a man, a human in flesh, but not for long. <laughs> in fact, here, take two. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, okay. you, know, you can roll really well and get a mentor like, uh, say... Uh, what's his name from the, the F. Scott Fitzgerald book? The main, the the the, the, the book, the, the name of the book. Oh, Mr. Jones and yeah. me, Mr. Jones and me. You could have Mr. Jones from the Counting Crow song as your mentor, or thank <laughs> or you, John. Mr. Wendell. Thank you so much for that, John. Or you could have Bagger Vance. <laughs> yeah, you can have Mr. Wendell, Mr. Jones, <laughs> or Bagger Vance, or Bagger Vance, or I guess what, Mr. Baggins, Mr. Fix It, <laughs> Mr. Frodo. <laughs> You know, John, you can have you can have Dabo, <laughs> Dabo, the, the the goblin, the gremlin. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So you figure out 
all of that. Now, one last thing to mention, because this game's stat system couldn't just be left alone at you have a percentiles and that's it. You have both your current stat and your potential stat. Oh, that's right. You have to roll for what the highest your stat will ever be, no exceptions. Yeah, so whatever your stat is, you then roll again on another chart. And on that chart, it tells you what the highest your stat could be. So if I'm like, oh, I've got a 90. Let's just say it's my prime stat. If I roll on D100 an 83 or less, that is as high as it can go. Mm -hmm. If I manage to roll higher than that, then I can get things like, ooh, I rolled a 96. So now I could get up to 98 is my potential. So when I level up i then go to the leveling up stat chart i f <laughs> i roll and find what the difference between my maximum and my current is and then reference the roll that i made against that difference number and find out if it goes up at all there is also a chance it goes down yep that's great if you roll like a one through five then you're just real tired after this adventure and now, your shit sucks now a common thread of complaint that we get when we review books like this is that we don't explain how the combat system works so let me go ahead and in simple terms <laughs> Sure, go ahead and tell me in simple terms how combat works. If you'd like to hit someone with, say, a gun or a weapon, you roll on a chart using your uh, weapon, you roll against a chart with your weapon proficiency skill. You take the result from your roll and check it against a chart. Then you take the result from that chart, and it'll tell you how many dice to roll. Roll those dice, and then you have to consult those against a chart. Now you're going to need to summon a notary public. <laughs> the notary public will twice notarize your documentation, which you will envelope in a manila envelope only and send to your local actuary or congressman. <laughs> Now, to be fair, while not that bad, it's pretty bad, <laughs> especially when you start getting into armor. So in this game, it's not enough to say, like, what do you have? I've got a armor five. It subtracts five damage. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. No. No. Why would you do that? Oh, for Pete's sake. Not when you could do multiplication instead. Instead, I have AT5, which means when someone rolls to hit me they have to go to the chart go to 85 and then roll now i could have a parentheses after the 85 based on my defensive bonus so i could be 85 parentheses 15 and then they'd roll on 85 and subtract 15 from the roll <laughs> fuck this game <laughs> well john maybe you know, maybe ultimately it will bear out in the wash, because what I have in my hands right here is the GM book, which contains the story of the setting. The, the greatest and most interesting hits of, of why you would want to play in Space Master, obviously, would be the interesting story and the world that they've created using all these replicants and near humans and what have you. I, uh... Just to let you know, not mm -hmm. done with characters yet. Oh, okay, but I'm you sorry. Can go ahead. No, 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 please finish up, finish up. Let, let me know what you got. Well, what I have is probably, spoiler alert, the worst thing in this book. Oh, and that, good, that book, all right. Yeah. <sighs> that is being a telepath. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just eight pages of full page, double page spread charts. Being a telepath, in addition to just being tediously boring for having to look everything up, is pointless. And I say that because... Everything is pointless. John's a nihilist. <laughs> Nihilism. <laughs> as a telepath, you're going to start with 
maybe if you rolled really well. I'm talking like higher than a 95 for your main stat, which is the only time you'd actually want to do that Mm -hmm. rather than raise a minor one because it determines how many power points per level you get. So unless you're rolling real high, you're usually getting one power point per level. I'm rolling medium high. If you took a 90 Mm -hmm. as your main stat, you will get one power point per level. (laughs) It's embarrassing. It is very embarrassing, especially when you find out that every single type of uh, scion, which they call the individual powers scions. Yeah, the powers are scions. Which really fucked me up because I was like, no, a scion is someone that has psionics. A scion's a car that kind of looks like a box. A scion's a real bad White Wolf game. (laughs) (laughs) So you get one PowerPoint. A PowerPoint can be used for a level one ability. Mm -hmm. If I am a uh, actual telepath. A level one actual telepath. Actual to actual. Yeah, I I went not with the semi. I went with the full telepath. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can throw as many points into this dumb shit as I want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what I could have is the first ten levels of powers from something. Powers levels one through ten. I can use the level one power once a day. <laughs> uh, you can't... E- even if, and it doesn't, but even if the game was like, oh, you get a PowerPoint per day, so maybe if you save up, you could save like 10 PowerPoints after 10 days. I'm going to put some PowerPoints on layaway. <laughs> yeah, except you cannot use any power that is above your current level. Mm-hmm. So if I'm level two, even if I rolled really high and I was like, oh, I get five PowerPoints a day per level, so I've got ten PowerPoints. However, I can only use a level two and below power because I'm level two, mm-hmm. so even though I have all these powers, they just sit on my book and go, nah, nah, you can't use this. What did you get? You got telekinetics? You have manipulate one. Did you want to try flying? Fuck you, that's level seven. That's a completely different power. Behold the wrath of the brain wizard. Yeah, the brain wizard at level one shows up to the team and goes, hey guys, I know all of the skills in this game are way more expensive for me and I suck ass at everything, but I have psionic powers. Don't worry, I can, if I have the field of control possession as my set, there is no level one power, fuck you. Oh, my God. You know, there's only one bit of fiction in the book that I read, and it's a, a psychic woman talking to, to a non-psychic guy, and every single thing that she does is a psychic power. She uses, over the course of a one-page fictional thing, 12 different psychic powers. Yeah, that lady's got to be super high level. Then. Oh, she's the highest level of the truth sibyls, which I'm going to go ahead and say it. They're the Bene Gesserit, and there's nothing else about them at all. Uh, so I'm exceedingly angry at the telepaths in this book because everything is garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I finish my uh, my dumb anecdote joke now, John? Sure, go Imagine, ahead. Imagine, if you will, the most interesting part of this book, <laughs> box set, must obviously be the story, right? Right? Okay, well, here we go. Let me tell you all about it. Please. The year is like 10,000 something. It's been a while, okay? We don't really know because they use their own calendar. Uh, it's it's space Rome. Oh boy, I, I've never seen anyone do space Rome. Before. I hope you were excited about space Rome. 
About the only part of the story that's interesting at all is that there was, of course, the one world, basically Catholicism religion, uh, because that always happens. But at least in this one, they have they have been around for so long that they have given up on the religious aspects of their structure and have become the Catholic business. Uh, so they're a corporation that invented inst- uh, what's the word? Look, uh, quantum entanglement communication. Oh, okay. and and they control the stranglehold on that on, on long range, long distance communications. Okay, uh, but they are they still uh, work with, within all the trappings of being the Catholic Church. So like, there's a pope. <laughs> and there's like, oh, you, you meet a bunch of friars and monsignors and one, and so on that are in this group, but they are, make no bones about it, a corporation. The logo of this group, called the Dia Covaria, by the way, uh, because again, it's just the space Catholics. Yeah. Uh, the, the logo of this group looks like if you took the old IBM logo from the 80s and changed it to say Dia Covaria. <laughs> Good. Mm-hmm. And also as a, as a symbol, a little apple with a bite taken out of it. <laughs> So the basic story is that, oh, you get one of those endless uh, ongoing uh, timeline things where it's like, ah, negative 9,800 BC or or before the Imperium, uh, the first of the fossil fuel wars. Yeah. That kind of thing where it's like, what is that? Nothing and it'll it'll never matter and don't worry about it. It happened 10,000 years ago. How much does something that happened 10,000 years ago affect my current daily life? None? Great. Yeah. Well, I mean, someone killed the last mammoth, so you don't have them coming in and nosing around in your business. If that guy hadn't done that 10,000 years ago, you'd have a mammoth digging around in your underwear drawer right now, wouldn't you, Mr. Man? Yeah, but it doesn't affect my daily life that he did that. (laughs) Like, it doesn't come up. No one comes up to me and is like, can you tell me the person who killed the last mammoth? For a second, I thought you meant it doesn't affect my daily life that a mammoth rummaged through my underwear. I mean, also, yes. (laughs) If a mammoth roamed the earth, I'm in Southern California. They ain't coming here. No, it's hot. They're here and they're rummaging through your underwear specifically. That's right. Mammoths have evolved. They're basically just raccoons with trunks now. They, if you leave the top off of your garbage, mammoths are going to get in there. Also, giant mammals were incredibly common here in this part of the country. That's why we have California condors. They yeah, used to that, eat- those aren't mammals. No, because they used to eat the dead giant mammals that were all over this neighborhood. Yeah. That's why they're so big. Okay, so, moving right along. So, I'm getting all into paleontology now. All right. <laughs> getting so into this. But instead, okay, at a certain point, an emperor instead must rise. Instead of an rise. interesting thing, yeah. let's talk about space Rome. Uh, an emperor must rise. And what will the first emperor's name be? Obviously, Gaius Septimus Macedon I. It's amazing to me that they didn't go with Augustus. Like, the fact that anytime anyone does space Rome, if their first person isn't like, Augustus, whatever. Yes, Caesar, just straight up Space Caesar. I'm Space Caesar. (laughs) I'm like, wow, you had almost restraint. Well, keep in mind, that's the first emperor, and the setting is set during the the reign of the 27th. Oh, yeah, and the 27th emperor is, of course, Augustus, Calliopus, Nero. It's like Tyrax Modestinus or something like that. It's... Uh, he's he's a he's a moderate. He's a centrist emperor. is is the important thing about him. Uh, he is that. Don't take that to mean he's nice. He's not. He'll go out and murder entire plants to get his way. But he has not placed power into the hands of his own military or doing. He's kind of he's a he's a medium emperor. Cur- the current emperor is kind of mediumish. He's medium well. He is mostly concerned about the benefits of his two sons. Uh, is Aunt Lama and because uh, because also in addition to there being a strain of of. Uh, Roman stuff everywhere. There's a kind of Mayan thing that's kind of in in the naming culture. Okay. And then his other son is just named Imperius. 
Oh, man, you know a bad time is coming for your empire if you name a kid Imperius. Oh, you could, yeah, they have the, the whole thing is like, all right, well, his first son, Isantlama, is bookish and not interested in ruling. His younger son, not destined to take the throne, Imperius, is warlike, a fighter pilot, and has, has uh, conspires endlessly with his mother to plot to take over the empire. Yeah, no shit, you named your kid Imperius. Yeah, he might as well have thrown a Rex on the end of there. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? I named my kid Imperius Reximus. Bad guy. Von, von Villain's hood. <laughs> Imperius Reximus Villainous Von, ba- von Bad Guyinson. This is my child. That's what I've named him. <laughs> also, I've made I've made up the position of Grand Vizier for him. <laughs> also, from a young age, I kept telling him that he was amazing, but he would never hold power. Yeah. <laughs> That's not for you, son. Don't even dream about it. Your your nebbish older brother will have power, even though he lacks your strength. (laughs) Uh, The Empire requires a strong hand. Not yours, though. Not your hand. (laughs) None of this matters. I mean, because, of course, the emperor of this is... Oh, by the way, if you're wondering where the emperor lives in space, uh, he lives in what was once known as Constantinople. Oh, not Istanbul? Yeah, you see, Istanbul was Constantinople. Now Constantinople is something else, and that's where he lives. <laughs> Istanbul was Constantinople. Been a long time gone, Constantinople. <laughs> Any questions, John? Uh, why did Constantinople get the works? Well, now that's nobody who's business but the emperors. Uh, I, I don't know why they skipped over Istanbul in this description, but they, they literally say he lives in a 1,000 square kilometer castle that occupies what used to be Istanbul. Ugh. I'm sorry, what used to be Constantinople. My eyes stop them from rolling. I know. They only ro- it's only because Constantinople is usually listed as like the death place of the, the original Roman Empire. So they're just like, oh, when it came back, we just stuck it right there on Constantinople. I'm, I'm sorry, Istanbul. Uh, I, you know what? Let's just not even mention the Turks. <laughs> you know what? Ah. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> now, this Constantinople palace was ruled over the current e- by the current emperor, Triangle Man. <laughs> uh, and his sons, Person Man <laughs> and Universe Man. Now, Universe-, Universe Man will not be getting power. <laughs> yeah, Universe Man has been denied power. Instead, he is in charge of prosthetic foreheads that you wear on your real head. <laughs> Now, his son, who should rule someday, instead is obsessed with a rock that he winds a string around. Uh, we're done here. Oh, you don't want to do more songs from Flood? No, we're 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 good. I think we're good on the Flood song. Are you going to leave me at the end of this 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 uh, bit? You're going to leave me here twisting in the wind? There we go. <laughs> okay, moving on. It's a good album. Check it out. <laughs> Check out this album from fucking 25 years ago it's good <laughs> the album is probably more than 30 years old but it is legitimately good it's legit it's it's older than a lot of our listeners so hey listeners check out this great album flood by they might be giants there you go now you got it yeah uh there's the emperor has advisors from a variety of different groups uh, how many are evil all of them are, <laughs> are at least a little bit evil in some way the dia coveria have an advisor his name's like regis and he is uh he, he's he has a talk show and he wants to know who wants to be a millionaire and there's this the truth civil Kathy Lee is the, no. uh no uh, it's it's Regius or something like that he's like he's your basic vizier type he's a skinny dude with a paunch but like skinny otherwise he's like yeah skexy's kind of dude yeah. who's always wandering around being like ah protocols great uh there's the truth civil lady that's that's his current minister of justice 
Uh, she just wanders around. Neither of them like him. Oh, of course. And they hate each other, too. Yeah, duh. And then the last one is, like, his officer of the military, who's, like, this l- l- young man. He's, like, in his 30s, who acts like a bumbling idiot, but actually is a super evil genius. <laughs> Great. Now, the truth sibyls are psychic women who try to plot the course of human history. Uh, they're the Bene Gesserit. There's nothing. They're not interesting. That's just they're one of the things. Yeah. One of the things about the other, about the Emperor as well is that he is attended at all times by a Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard is notable because it's the only time that the whole list, the endless lists of different types of humans you can play as in this game are get any kind of mention at all. Because it's like, oh, the Praetorian Guard is, is rumored to be stacked with transhuman types 1, 4, and 7. And then in parentheses, the rumors are true. Yeah, great. I guess one because they're the most plentiful because they were the first ones to be done, and seven because it was the perfect man, the perfect man before they made the ultimate man. Yeah, and then four I think is the big dumb strong ones, probably. So there you go. But never again is anything about the android. If the, if androids or transhumans are mentioned later, it's always just like this planet might have androids living on it. You don't know who could possibly. The, the whole numbering thing never comes up again. Ah, uh, good. So there's a thing I really wanted to talk to you about, John, and it's not really necessarily the story, because honestly, I'm kind of done with the story. Uh, the only other thing that was any note that was kind of interesting about it is that the military is called Starmadas. <laughs> I can respect that. Yeah, that's kind of... someone's like, what do we name our military? And someone's like, how about a dumb pun? And the fact that the emperor at the time, uh, Pontus Lovius, was like, yes, I love it. I'm John Lovitz. <laughs> What shall we call our military? Well, I can name it after my friend in Continentia. <laughs> in Continentia buttocks. All right. So anyway, moving on here. I just thought I'd tell you a little bit about the random planet generation tables that start the GM book. This is literally the first thing you encounter. Good. Uh, planet generation starts with you need to determine the orbital radius, the satellite type, the eccentricities, the circumference, the, defi- the uh, density, the gravity and escape velocity, the planet, or whether or not it has a stellar atmosphere, the environmental parameters, the temperature table, wind and weather, precipitation types relative to individual continents, of course, the number of hours per single solar day, and finally, standard. Oh, actually, not, this is my favorite one. It's not the final. The final one is satellite generating. Uh, but second, uh, the penultimate one, standard days per year. John, I'd like to tell you, accurately determining the length of a planetary year is not a simple process, <laughs> but it is a straightforward one. To begin with, take the cube of the planet's orbital radius. Orbital radius times orbital radius times orbital radius. Obviously, obviously, he did ask for the cube. Yeah, and then divide it by the mass of the primary. Then find the square root of this number. The total thus derived is the planet's orbital period in actual Earth years. To translate this figure into standard, standard imperial days, multiply it by 350. Uh, That's to figure out how many days there are in a year on a planet you just made up. Good. You could also just make it up. You could also just say, it's got 200 days. Yeah. Uh, it, but there's e- equal things for every one of those those groups and groupings I mentioned. Find the cube of this. Divide this into the square root. Subtract 10 from this and then subtract 5 from it if it's wet. Uh, Add negligible amounts to this if it's... Oh, here it is. If gravity is negligible, multiply the result by 0.1 to determine the number of hours in a planetary rotation. This is endless. Yeah. And that's the first thing in the book. It's just, hey, welcome to the galaxy of Space Master. To begin with, roll a D100. No, both of the books, the player book and the GM book, are both there to deter those people from actually using this because the players get in there and they start looking at it and they're like 
oh, this is endless charts and crap, and it doesn't even tell me how to do anything for at least 60 pages. Oh, I hate everything. And then if you're the GM, you're like, yeah, but I want to run this game, open GM book. Never mind. No, I don't. So there's only one more thing I would like to read to you, and then I'm going to pretty much be done, and we can move on to favorites and least favorites and what have you. Yeah. Uh, and this is the the first section of the adventure that's included in the back of the GM book. This Keep in mind, this is for GM uh, ears only. So if you're a player in a Space Master game and you haven't done the back adventure yet, you have to stop listening now, okay? Yeah. yeah Just all right. skip forward a couple minutes. The Colosian scheme. The Colosian, being underhanded and cruel, are in the process of purging the minor clan of Neteo Gyrus of the Roe Perciari system so that the resource installations there may be subsequently claimed, it is hoped, in the name of Lord Kibiki Colos I. The Thane, ruler of Nito Gyrus, has become aware of his impending doom and has approached his friends at the Jade London court for assistance. Ever seeking an excuse to foil collosion plans, Jade London intelligence teams have be immediately begun forming plans to defeat the Colosian coup. Both Nito Gyrus and Jade London are aware that the Colosians will be implementing their heinous scheme via tachyon beam dictor transmissions to one of their Murlog agents. Their plot must involve a fair amount of economic manipulation. I would love to keep going, but it's this for three pages. Yes. And, and finally, after that, it's like, and here's where the players come in. Yeah, you'd think, oh, there's going to be a coup on this planet. Oh, sweet. I'm going to be a badass that fights against this. Oh, no. But they are getting together people so that they can stop some sort of transmission. Oh, cool. I'm going to be on a badass team that stops this from happening. No. Anyway, so they are also going to contact this evil corporation's accountant. And you're like, can I? Am I? Stopping the accountant? What am I doing? Well, I can tell you, John, uh, the, the end of the story of the whole coup thing is that they are doing it via, like I mentioned, tachyon beam dictors, which is this... I barely know her. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, those are these world's quantum entanglement instant communication devices, uh -huh. uh, but they don't work as well as they do in other places where those things have been mentioned, like, say, the Orson Scott card uh, Ender's Game series. Uh, here, they have ranges. Like, short ranges. And so if someone wants to, to intercept messages, they can do that by going to the various relay stations that exist in the galaxy uh, and, and messing with them there. So that's what you as the players do. You have to go to some nowhere asteroid that's got a, me a relay station on it, uh, beat up show, a bunch. Show up, have a whole toolkit and go, hey, I'm here to check out your relay station. Yeah. Oh, it looks like your tubes are out of alignment. <laughs> hey, these space tubes are all spaced out. Hey, somebody put condenser in the hydro spanner i'm a that's gonna be a while <laughs> but instead what it actually is is you have to go to this relay station that's in the middle of nowhere and then beat up the lots of armed guards and robots that are there worried about you doing this and then mess with the transmission so it doesn't get back to the rogyrus or whatever it was great you did it yay <laughs> you you did the space equivalent of Cutting down a telephone pole so that someone wouldn't get a call. Congratulations, you're a big hero. That was your job. There's one more thing that I wanted to... Just, just one more one thing. One more thing. And, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, which may take me a second to find, so we'll probably have to cut and come back to it. Uh, what are you looking for? Uh, what are you looking for? The range of difficulties. Oh, yeah. Here. I'll, I'll find that for you. Okay. Well, while John does that, I will juggle for your amusement. Anyway, it is right here. Three balls. <laughs> oh my god keep going three chainsaws and three balls Ooh, yes i love it <laughs> the difficult you know how we always complain about how the uh, difficulty charts in old role-playing games tend to be like easy medium extra medium double hard well here's this one's just so in case you were curious to hear how it goes 
Uh, and this is from easy to hard. And these are the difficulty categories. Routine, easy, light, medium, hard, very hard, extremely hard, sheer folly, and finally, absurd. Yeah. It, it would be sheer folly, but not absurd. <laughs> I like the idea that sheer folly is easier than absurd. Also, that they had to stick my light in there between easy and medium. <laughs> easy, light, hard, medium, hard light, <laughs> medium, large, <laughs> extra medium, jumbo, venti. <laughs> oh, man, if I. If I make a difficulty scale for something, I need extra medium to be in there. Just be like, easy, medium, extra medium. <laughs> so medium. That's just all medium the whole day. Easy medium, medium, hard medium, super hard medium. Sheer folly medium. <laughs> hard. Oh, now I actually kind of am a fan of the concept of uh, using the Starbucks sizes for some RPG. We need a Starbucks RPG where the difficulties can be like venti and grande and tall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then people can complain about it. Can't I just say medium? No. No, you have to say the actual thing. No, if you want to ask what the difficulty is, you have to t t say, well, is it grande? <laughs> <laughs> if you say medium, then we're taking Christmas off the cups. <laughs> <sighs> yeah so, all right uh, well john what would you say was your favorite thing about this game i mean at least it has a few interesting aliens you've got the trinary mr peanut you've got a blob version of a trill that helps you out and the other neat thing about the weird like symbiote blob thing is that they are to uh a man of all of them they are super polite and cordial about everything. Including the fact that they're about to take you over and, like, blob you up real good. Oh, they don't oh, take you over. Yeah, it's a they partnership. Just, they just show up and they're like, hello, it's good to be here. Thank you for letting me in. Hi there. I'm going to blob into you real good and I'm going to derive nutrients from you. But you'll get access to my skills and stuff. It's all just like, oh, well, why would you want a blob in you? Like, oh, they make you way more resistant to damage. They'll, like, if you get cut, they'll just stop the cut from happening mm -hmm. if one of your organs fails they will become the organ for a period of time and they are not recommended for player characters <laughs> none of the aliens are yeah they're like don't be a trinary peanut yeah by the way one quick note about the art in this book it's all black and white line art it is very heavy on boobies also i didn't see any of the alien species there's, in the art there's only one picture of a trilopter that's the entire alien species art list there's no uh there's no words there's no sneeze there's no flibble to bees yep actually worg and snee were both actual alien races yeah sneeze are in there as are arees snee is supposed to be the scariest race in the galaxy they're like giant glistening they're basically gartham uh from yeah. dark crystal but uh there's no, they're just like, oh, they're covered in gleaming black uh, plates and they're, they're bug-like and reptile-like at the same time. And they're called the Sneeze. Ah, great. Bless, bless you. Sneeze. <laughs> sneeze, sneeze. Yeah. So All your right, favorite so thing is the fun alien races? There, there are some decent alien races in there once you get past like the 12 different types of transhuman eugenics programs. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite thing in here? I, I pretty much am just going to straight up have to agree with you. There's really yeah. not much. There's not much else to this that's fun. Some of the alien races have interesting design concepts behind them. Yeah, good job. I mean, you did go very heavy in the human paint, but at there least are, you included some other things. They could have at least thrown us the bone of some of the humans having weird crap glued to their faces, right? Yeah, give me a, a ridge human. 
I mean, 85 is too early for them to be ripping off TNG, so maybe that's why. Maybe. Because, you know, the old Enterprise era didn't glue a lot of crap to faces. It was mostly, like, face paint, and that was as far as you got. Oh, yeah. Everyone was like, oh, it's we're cowboy humans in space. Yeah, I mean, the most you got was, like, I've got pointy ears. I really kept hoping they'd go back to those planets in TNG for just, like, one episode. Just one episode. So, they're like, hi, it's Cowboy Planet. Hey, cow- we need more uh, replicators here on Cowboy Planet. Could you help us out? And Picard would be like, ah, yes, I remember Cowboy Planet from the archives. <laughs> uh, we prefer to pretend it doesn't exist, number one. Please let me go down there. I want to be a cowboy. Let me go to the brothel. <laughs> Captain! Captain, we have to go to Cowboy Planet. Just Riker jumping up and down. McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. Oh, <laughs> uh, number one, we have replicators at home. I like to imagine that he just shows up and asks for one black coffee. <laughs> Replicator, tea, Earl Grey, hot. And then leave. Small. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Set a course for home. Yeah. All those dumb plants from the original series should should have come back, at, at least, if nowhere else, as characters that showed up in Quark's bar. I will say this. In Star Trek Discovery, we do get those big testicle head aliens... With the big brains show up again. Oh, okay, that's good to hear. Yeah. But we never see those black slash white dudes again. No. Well, we solved their problems. All of their problems by going, have you tried not being racist? But Discovery was set before TOS, wasn't it? No. Oh, okay. It's set, oh, yes, it is, by like a few years, because Captain Pike is the still the captain of the Enterprise. Okay, fair enough. All right. What was your least favorite thing about this book, John? Oh, I got to go with the psionics. It is the worst power system I have ever seen in a book. <laughs> it's uh, it's just ludicrously Ugh. bad. There and are there's so many powers. So there's a ton of categories. And within each category is six subcategories. And within each subcategory is basically 20 powers. There are not powers at every one of those 1 through 20 levels. No, no. So you might go into a thing and it's like, oh, we've got a level 1 power, but then you don't get another power until level 6. So, like, for example, you choose between the fields of vision, the fields of alteration, the fields of control, or the fields of self-mastery. Or the fields of Athenray. Or the fields of gold. (laughs) If you get those, you get the power to walk with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just bounce with me. Just bounce with me. <laughs> now take a walk with me. If you choose, for example, the fields of vision, now you have to choose subcategories, empath, interface, mind's truth, mind detection, mind's eye, and mind in the past. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Almost none of the categories are offensive in nature. No, very few. Uh, until you get up to... High level, and when I say high level, I'm talking like up towards level 50, mm-hmm. because there's the 20 basic ones that you can get, but then there's also, if you get to a certain point, you unlock the like advanced level skills, and those ones are like, oh, here's a level 38 power and a level 47 power, yeah. and they go up to, I think, 60-something, to where I'm looking at it going like, Okay, what, what if I'm level 68 and I've been a telepath this whole time, what do I get? Why, you can teleport somewhere within a few miles and bring two people with you. <laughs> Great. But you'll have to leave either the fox or the goose or the bag of <laughs> corn behind. 
<laughs> yeah, it is. Even the high level ones I look at and go, God, this doesn't matter. I think the other thing about the psychic power list that I found amusing is that they have two descriptors that they'll add on to pow- the powers you already have, but now they're better. And one of them is true. And they'll stick it at the end of things. You'll see things like alter matter. And then three levels later, you'll get alter matter true. Yeah. And then the other one is Lord. Uh, and Lord is stuck on the front of things. So you get stuff like telekinesis. Really good telekinesis. Telekinesis true. Lord telekinesis. Lord telekinesis. <laughs> Lord telekinesis sounds like a rad dude from Masks game. Like, they also have various levels of things where you might have like, I have lift one. And then lift two and lift three, and all of it is just see lift one, but now you can do whatever. Yeah. But you get powers like Lord Retaliation and Lord Metemption. <laughs> Lord Metemption. <laughs> Metemption. Lord Metamorph is the raddest sounding character in this game. I almost want to change my favorite thing just to the idea that there's a cool supervillain running around named Lord Metamorph. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, you're right. The the psychic powers in this game are bonkers bad. It's so awful, and you have to give up so much if you are a true telepath to get them mm-hmm. and it's just not ever worth it no no like it at really least isn't. being the semi telepath you can go oh i'll get like some gun haver abilities and that's cool and then maybe i'll slip into like reading minds or something in case i need to do that yeah but being the pure telepath you are fucked mm-hmm. for 50 levels so, I think for my least favorite thing, I'm going to take the the setting. <laughs> take Space Rome. I'm just going to. It's just fucking Space Rome again. How many of these do we need to encounter? Where it's the where the leader's the leader's name is like Gaius Macedon Septimus Micarellius, and, and then there's also an. A, a whole... <laughs> I love the Micarellius podcast, by the way. <laughs> and then, of course, there's a holy Catholic church and a bunch of sexy psychic ladies. The, the Bene Gesserit. How many books are there where this shit is the thing? Uh, well, all, I mean, at least this was them? 85. Yeah. So I'm like, you got in on the ground floor before this became just tedious. That just makes them like the first to rip off a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah. Because at 85, it means that they're already ripping off 40Ks, kind of everything has Roman influences to it, and they are already for sure ripping off Frank Herbert's Dune. Oh, they're ripping off Star Trek Dune and 40K a lot. A lot. Just a ton. Uh, they mentioned, actually, if you read the GM guide, there's a bunch of stuff in there that's like, hey, ha- what if you would like to play in a setting that isn't this? Obviously, Space Master is the perfect game setting to use to control your any kind of sci-fi space adventure you'd like to run. So if you'd like to, say, for example, play Star Trek, then add matter energy transporters. They work in the following mega overcomplicated way, which is the opposite of the fucking transporters. Yeah, the transporters work in hand wave unless we've got a cool idea for an episode. Yeah, the transporters are narrative conveniences. They don't need to have a bunch of fail rolls built into them unless you suddenly feel yourself the need for two Rikers. Yeah, it's just, did I have a weird idea for the uh, transporter to do something for an episode? No, then it just works. Who cares? Yeah, and then for Star Wars, it's like, maybe put in laser swords and increase the number of telepaths there are in the game. <laughs> and make telepaths useful in some way. Yeah, so... Anyway, this this book wants to both have this interesting story to it, which is not interesting, and also suggests that you could use this to run any other kind of sci-fi game, which you cannot. No. It's bad and should feel bad. It's bad and should feel bad. But luckily, no one's going to get mad at us here because the uh, ice company is now being held by some 
British holding company, and the whole thing's been completely dissolved like 20 years ago. Yeah, that's what we should do with ice. Dissolve We're, it. Yeah, Get rid of ice. Dissolve ice. That's the number one thing you should take away from this episode. If you if you take away nothing else, it's that we should abolish, abolish ice. ice. Yeah, there you have it. Uh, all what right, would man. you uh, would you play this game? I would not. Mm. I don't know that I could. Yep. The charts and mathiness of this is just like, nah, man. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I'm not in fucking school anymore. I don't want to do homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in my case, I'm pretty sure that I would never play this game, but I can report. And this is again a thank you to Erica for sending us the book. Um, someone did. Someone did because there's a bunch of French character sheets jammed and uh, campaign notes and shit uh, jammed throughout the thing. Uh, these are John's handing them to me. Unfortunately, they're nowhere near as interesting as the. Uh, <laughs> this is primarily, primarily aimed at Dan. Yeah, it's it's just. Uh, here's here's the thing we get to learn that there someone was planning a a campaign setting in this game uh, called Dark Space 1991. Oh, good. So it was uh, Space 1991, but uh, <sighs> la terre est super pollué et très which means the world the world has been destroyed and is super polluted. Uh, the, it, it's it's just a story. Basically, what it's saying here is that the world is no longer inhabitable. Uh, all of the religions of the world have been combined, and it mentions that uh, the the uh, resulting tenets of their uh, combined religion are Buddhism, reincarnation, and Judaism. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, everyone's on a big ship. They're all very fat. There's a little <laughs> robot. A little robot. He wants to collect a plant to impress a white robot dildo vibrator. It vibrates your dildos. Yeah, it's a dildo vibrator. <laughs> you put your your dildo in there, and it goes... <laughs> and it dries it off real fast, like one of those things they have in gym locker rooms for bathing suits. Yeah. It just does the helicopter for your dildo and gets everything <laughs> off it. Uh, yeah, so there's just a little background section. None of this is... Uh, it's It's interesting, but it's just someone's old campaign notes from like 91. Uh, the only thing I found interesting is that anytime they had to type stuff, they did so on on scrap paper, and the backside of the scrap paper is repair manuals for the typewriter they were using to type the stuff. Uh, like we don't have actual paper, we just have to use this. They had this old Selectrix typewriter, the kind that had like a little tiny LCD screen on it, so you could type things out and then have the pa- the page print like like one line at a time by memory. Yeah, it's uh, it was easily the most fascinating thing that I found in the box. <laughs> Great. Now, John, as you know. Every once in a while, when someone either just straight up pays us 50 bucks or has been a $10 or subs- has blackmail on us, yeah, has blackmail on us, has sent us nudes. Do not send us nudes. Do not send us nudes unless they are clown nudes. Thank you. We do you. not want any nudes unless they are clown nudes. Yes, please and thank you. Only clown nudes. <laughs> uh, uh, but yes, we do occasionally get people that want us to read things. Mm hmm. Uh, this case, we are going to be reading some uh, something from one of our patrons, uh, uh, who, who I only know by the by the name King Yam, because Patreon is pretty secretive about what people are. King Yam. Yeah, and it turns out this guy's a King Yam. Yeah, he's a big old King Yam. And uh, he said, and this is an interesting message, he specifically asked me not to read it on the Eorus episode part two. Uh, I don't blame him. Those episodes were a little wild. But, <laughs> a little uh, wild and a little strange. <laughs> so we held off on this one for quite some time, but here it comes. If you're looking for comic book reviews, weird 80s exploitation films, and other various nerderies, look no further than that podcast productions. Josh, Aura, and Cody. Now, I have to assume he's one of those three people. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah, it might, he might be two of them. He might be Josh, Aura. Yeah. 
Uh, Josh Orr and Cody combine out powers to provide a wide variety of shows for you to vaguely chuckle at while pretending to work. On the first Monday of every month, we drop that podcast we'll never do, where we compare two graphic novels and fight about how bad a writer Jonathan Hickman is. Good. Every time. Uh, the third Monday is Further Ado, the, fil- Adieu, the film and media show with a misspelled name, where we tackle some kind of other work related to the topic of the month's comic. And on the second and fourth Mondays, that podcast stays up at night to review the terribly dated and horribly sleazy films of USA channels Up All Night. Nice. You remember that? Yeah, of course I do. Good times. Up all night. <laughs> you can find all our shows at thatpodcastproductions.fireside.fm. And follow the Facebook group at That Podcast Stays Up All Night Slumber Party. Hope to see you there. Actually, John, while we're on the subject of uh, announcement masteries, I've got a whole other one uh, that needs to be read this episode. And in fact, this is the actual one that requested not Eorus 2. I just got them confused. I because... just assume nobody wants to be on Eorus 2. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We did the right thing and we saved it for Space Master. Truly a mark of quality. Oh, yeah. This is what people wanted. Uh-huh. So uh, if you wouldn't mind taking the second one, it's from a... Well, yeah. Uh... This is more along my alley anyway. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> sure. Okay. Fire away. Uh, So... I know from experience that people with mental illness often feel alone and isolated from the rest of humanity. And that is why I am the one reading this. <laughs> because as the resident depressed person here, I'm going to go ahead and do the rest of this. Oh, come on now. I have crippling anxiety. <laughs> uh, I can't solve that issue on my own, but what I can do is point out one way we are not alone. The theory goes like this. There's a concept called neurodiversity. It's complicated, and I'm not going into it, but it says that mental illness is a label attached to various ways human minds function that broader society doesn't like. These conditions are inherently biological and therefore universal. But human biology hasn't changed significantly since the dawn of recorded history, so if neurodiversity is a biological part of humanity, one independent of time and place... The neurodiverse people, logically, must have existed in the past. And as we can see from people like Greta Thunberg, neurodiversity doesn't prevent people from making their mark. We had predecessors. So who were they? I am A.B. Lieberman, a neurodiverse professional historian, and I've set out to help us find them. I'm not the first person to try this, but most previous attempts have gotten dismissed as pop history or just weak. But I think I found a way around that. I call it neurohistorical analysis because it needs a long, pretentious title to get academic recognition. I mean, I mean obviously, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it doesn't have a title like that, no one's going to care. Yeah, that's just like how you have to say like queer studies of, of history. You can't just be like, Abraham Lincoln was totes gay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's a multidisciplinary approach that seeks to demonstrate the similarities between our predecessors and us today. So I've created a podcast to explain what I'm doing. It's called Neurohistory, and it both explains the theory and shows it in action. While it focuses on the neurodiverse I've written for everyone, I think people interested in history, psychology, activism, or even just curious laymen can find something to appreciate. And one last thing to cover... Uh, in the second episode, I lay out how to use neurohistorical analysis on your own. It should contain everything a neurodiverse listener would need to look for someone that thought the same way they do. Presenting this theory means nothing if nobody does anything with it. And, well, I wouldn't call it easy to use, but it's, but it's something within the reach of humans as well as academics. You know, the two types, humans yeah, yeah. and academics. <laughs> yeah, because humans are from Mars. Exactly. <laughs> and and ac- academics are from Earth. They're from the blue side of Mars. <laughs> Uh, together, I think we may be able to turn this into something real, something that can reach those of us who feel alone and show just how vibrant our heritage really is. 
To that effect, I'm soliciting any interested neurodiverse listeners to help me out. Maybe use that method or even just do some research on their own and send it in to me. Uh, I'll feature the stuff I get on the podcast, advise you on where to go from there, and even invite anyone who's completed the process on to discuss their discoveries in person. If you're at all interested, you can go ahead and find the podcast at neurohistory.podbean.com or the podcast choice of your source, or you can email them at neurodiversehistory at gmail.com. So go ahead, send any messages into them. It's a super interesting idea to go ahead and look at neurodiversity in history Mm -hmm. and to come up with a way of identifying it on your own. Yeah, that'd be a real trick. I'm I'm excited to hear about that myself. Once again, that was neurohistory.podbean.com for the podcast. And then the email address was neurodiversehistory at gmail.com. That was from A.B. Lieberman. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I would not have. I don't know who Greta Thunberg is, so I'm I'm already off the. <laughs> You're already off the rails. You're not on these rails. My first thought for a neurodiverse person was going to be that patron saint of getting bad headaches, and I know that's not right. So, uh, so I'm gonna let it, I'm gonna let the experts handle this one. Good. And now back to the show. And there you go. And there you have it. Now folks. again, if you want to have us read your message on the air, it's the low, low price of fifty bucks. You can find it at our website, which is which is systemmasterypodcast.com. Doesn't have to be an ad, could just be something you want us to read. It's always been an ad or just a weird thing people want us to read. I'm still waiting for that having us do a marriage proposal thing. It'll happen someday. Hey, we had someone who just wanted us to say thanks to their uh, GM. Oh yeah, that was true. That was really nice. Yes. I mean, if you want to do something nice and they listen to this podcast, and it would be neat for them to hear us say their name and go, good job. You're my best friend, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think you also got to read the Song of Solomon in the voice of the Dog Bites Your Dick voice. Uh, uh, I believe, yeah. Is that right? Is that the Song of Solomon, the the extra sexy Bible song? Yeah, that's the, the sex haver song. Okay, yeah. Okay, so these, once again, just go to uh, systemmasterypodcast.com and click on the Give Us Some Money button. And one of the options on that page is to buy the Jumbotron where we will read what you tell us to on the internet within reason, or on the air, within reason. Yes. Within reason, obviously. Obviously. Yeah, so thank you so much. Otherwise, if you want to support us, there are so many great ways to do it. John, did you know that I wrote a book? (laughs) Did you know that I wrote a book? No, I wrote a book called (laughs) A Dragon Walks Into a Bar. Weird, weird, because I I wrote a book called A Dragon Walks I a Bar. (laughs) Okay, now you're just referencing our uh, our our what you call a Jackbox game session yeah, my, last night. Yeah, my birthday, your night. birthday party. But no, did you know that two dudes wrote this book called "A Dragon Walks Into a Bar," and it's a big book of bad jokes, uh, just the worst <laughs> garbage you've ever heard. But you need it, <laughs> and you can buy it on Amazon. It's uh, currently the top the, the top new release in Shadowrun books. That's right. No other Shadowrun has more pre-sold copies than us. I wonder if that's true now that Shadowrun 6th Edition is playtesting. I hope so. <laughs> How long I really it- want it to be like, oh yeah, even the new edition of Shadowrun has not outsold our shitty joke book. <laughs> so go to Amazon.com. The book's like $10 digital and 14 or $15 real. And if you don't want to do Amazon, you can find it a bunch of other places. There's actually a link on our website. Yes. SystemMasteryPodcast.com. And we get a chunk of that action and it helps us be able to do the show. Uh, and also, if you buy, if you pre-order the book, if you buy it before it's released and it releases in December, and you're a member of our Discord, then we will change your color to a unique purple shade in our Discord. Which that is the only way you'll ever be able to get that purple color. Yeah, it's a one-time offer. One-time offer. When December rolls around, we're turning it off. Yeah, that's right. 
So that's that's. So fun. if you want an exclusive thing that no one else has, yeah. If you want to hang out in our Discord and lord your status of owning a bad joke book over a bunch of other people, yeah. If you want to show up and be like, I am Lord Metamorph, <laughs> I'm Lord Metamorph, and I own the book. <laughs> Purple. <laughs> it's the color of royalty and epic items. Uh, legend. Or, yeah, epic. Not legendary is orange. Yeah. So. Also, you can go to Patreon, support us there. We are going to do some bonus content. We're going to make characters for Space Master, which... Yeah, you wait and see me try. Yeah, I'm going to have to get a calculator out for this one. You're going to need a shock prod, too, if you want me to do it. Oh, don't you worry about that one. I got that right here. Damn it. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm actually kind of into this now. Oh, hold on. Ooh, now now zap my balls. <laughs> Anyway, that's right. Patreon.com slash System Master. You can get that bonus content. It being the $1 level, it's the cheapest thing. It's too cheap. It's the cheapest entertainment in podcasting, except for all those free ones that we also make. Yeah, except for everything we do. Yes. Uh, but there are more levels you sub- you can subscribe at. There's a, there's a 2 and a $5 level that also unlock more podcasts. And you can just do more. I don't care. Yeah. Dude, Fucking do whatever you we'll want. You, I ain't yeah. your dad. Yeah. There's or a, your boss. There's a 2000. Or God. <laughs> there's <laughs> <laughs> if you want a bagel, I ain't going to stop you. Uh, well, you, one person who you are definitely not is Ray Liotta, because if you're Ray Liotta, then you're welcome to join us at the $2,000 Ray Liotta only level. Now, if if you are Ray Liotta and you join us at the Ray Liotta select level, ooh, just you wait and see what we've got in store for you, Mr. Liotta. So many bonuses only for Ray Liotta. We've been making Ray Liotta bonus content since the beginning. There's six years of content just for him. Yeah, we make an extra episode a month that is only for Ray Liotta at that $2,000 level. If you open up the $2,000 level, the next thing you know, you've got like 84 new podcasts. <laughs> Just for you, Mr. Liotta. By the way, I loved you on uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mr. Ray Liotta, for all the joy you bring. And thank you, listeners, for listening. And have a great week. And thank you so much. And goodbye. Goodbye.